Church. I'm so super, super, super excited. The guest speaker for today, his name is Pastor Mark Ryan from Birmingham, UK. And when you preach, goes up, 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 up. Mark, the stage is you. Rocket for Jesus Christ. Let's give him a tremendous applause for Pastor Mark Ryan in the house. Oh, it's great to be with you today. It really is. International crowd. So is this the Tower of Babel crowd? Lots and lots of languages. Or is it just English? I'm so, so pleased to be here. Really pleased. I, I love that song that they've just been singing. I even love the film though, don't you? Because it's the way that Kathy and I have been taking the tram in Zurich. We just jump from one to the next. All the Swiss people have been looking at us strange, but now we learned in church that this was the right way to do it. Anyway, it's really, really good to be with you. Um, I hope today that you will have a discerning, listening ear. Uh, What I want to share with you will take some maturity and some wisdom to hear. I'm going to talk about your calling. And when pastors and preachers talk about calling and destiny, it's always a hard message for every listener. Because let's face it, most of us struggle with the way that we are called or what God's plan is for us. So it's a difficult topic. So I'm just going to, and I feel led to bring a kind of certain slant upon it so that it can begin to propel you into the future. Now, do you remember that film, uh, Back to the Future? Because basically, that's what I'm going to say to you today, is you have to go back in order to go to your future. Are you with me? Okay. I was uh, a young man of 14 years old, 15 years old, Uh, never grew up in church, never went to church, Uh, didn't have a clue about God, Jesus, or anything. And and you might be in that situation today uh, where you're not really used to church or whatever. And so when I talk today about calling, maybe also you perhaps may be able to translate it in some of the ways in which God is speaking to you. And here's a clue. Something that repeats and it gets your attention is often God. So I want to talk to you about some of the precious things that God has said to you. As I said, I was about 14 years old and my minister, the person who was leading our church, decided to do a survey and to see who was called to the ministry. Well, the question was question seven on this survey. See, when people ask me, oh, Pastor Mark, how were you called to the ministry? I have the most boring story about how I was called. Some people see an angel. Some people have these big experiences. I was filling out a form. I was filling out a survey. And, and so, you know, question one, my name. Question two, my address. You know, so I couldn't get that wrong. Question three, how long have I been coming to the church? Question four, can't remember what it was. Question five, don't really know what it was. Oh no, question four was male or female. I was kind of okay with that one. Question five, don't really know what that was. Question six, but then came question seven. You've always got to look out for question seven. In any form you fill out, watch out for question seven. In those days, 
if they said to you, do you feel called to Christian service? What that meant was, do you feel called to be a church minister? Now today, we teach that everybody's a minister and we're, whatever job that we have, and that's good teaching and it's right to say that. But in 1973, at that moment, are you called to full-time Christian service was question seven. And I didn't know whether I was or whether I wasn't, so I was going to tick the box no. And I took my pen and as I was going to tick or check the box no, I put my pen over no and my hand began to shake terribly. And I couldn't tick that box, so I took my hand away and thought, that's strange. So I began to put my hand back again and uh, I began to try and tick no and my hand shake terribly. I thought, that's really strange. Let's go in for a third time. It's only ticking a box. And I couldn't do it. So I moved over to tick the box, yes. And nothing happened. So I took it away and thought, hello, this is a strange experience. So I went to tick my, put my hand on the box, no. And my hand just couldn't tick the box. So I ticked yes and thought to myself, I think I'm called. Filled out the rest of the survey. I don't know about you, but it takes a lot of work to be called. You can have those initial experiences and that's all fine. But there's a long road to sorting out your calling in Jesus. There's a lot of refinement. There's a lot of cleaning out. But nevertheless, there is a journey to go on. And there is something that we need to know to get it done. But even so, there will be a long journey to work out what you're supposed to do in Jesus. And it may be more than one thing. But nevertheless, you have to start and go on the journey. And I felt really led about this message today. I think I've said something kind of similar to some pastors. I think I've mentioned this uh, privately to people, but I've never spoken this to a congregation. Until I was lying in bed in my house thinking, what shall I speak at ICF and this message came to my mind and I've changed it and refined it because I believe it's a word that may sit over your life as an individual, maybe even as a church. So I want to ask you today, are you willing to go on a journey to discover your calling? David was somebody who was called. David was somebody who had something sitting over his life. Did you know that David, the king in the Old Testament, he was actually chosen to be king way before, or a little bit a while before he even fought with Goliath. In fact, one of the things that brought David to prominence was is that he was willing to carry cheese in order to go to the battlefield. And I wonder if you will be raised to your prominence if you will be willing to do something as menial as to carry the sandwiches or to make cheese for your brothers. He takes cheese to the battlefield and he hears about Goliath and it's the whole Goliath story that raises him to his fame. 
He becomes famous through this battle. But before that, he'd had a private lineup with his brothers, and it was at that lineup, in obscurity, just with his family, that the Lord had said to him, David, you're king. It wasn't the battle. It wasn't the Goliath incident that propelled him. The Goliath incident propelled him to prominence, but his calling was absolutely in private. And maybe God has been saying some things to you privately, and God will bring them out publicly as you're faithful. Now, David having won the battle with Goliath, became what I call the darling of the, of the armed forces. They'd sing songs about him. They'd cheer about him. In fact, the Bible says, puts it this way. It says that when, whenever there was a mission Saul sent David on, David was successful. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. In everything that he did, he had great success, and the Lord was with him. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and he became well-known. David began to think, this is how I'm going to become king. I'm going to become king through my military prowess. Instead of becoming a king, he became a captain. Instead of becoming what his calling was supposed to be, he began to become dependent on a way of becoming king. He thought he would gain in popularity and that Saul would hand him the kingdom. Well, it was never going to happen that way. In fact, he should have got a clue by the way that he was called. He was called in privacy. In fact, in the first lineup with his brothers, he wasn't even there. He was, he was out in the field and they had to bring him back to the field. And then, startlingly so, surprisingly so, he was told, you're the king. Why now had he begun to think, well, this is the way I'm going to be king. Through military powers, through Saul handing me the kingdom from him. It was never going to happen like that. He finally realizes that his dream of becoming king isn't going to happen the way that he thought. He realizes it because Jonathan, his best friend and his beloved brother, sets up a test. Uh, uh, that if he shoots arrows and it's beyond a rock, then it was a sign to him that the king Saul was, an, um, was completely wanting to kill him. And he finally dawns on him. I am not going to get my kingdom the way that I thought. And so I want to read you a few verses from David's what is my life about moment. What's my life really here for? Now this is a difficult question for all of us. As we sit here on this Sunday afternoon... It's a hard question for all of us to think, what am I really about? But I want to plant a seed today. And I want you to have some wisdom and some discernment. And in a sense, the way that God may help me to speak, I believe he wants to help you to listen. 
that I think that God wants to minister to you, to speak into you, so that you hear the right things from your past. You see, David is thinking, I want to be king, but he's trying to get it, get it through this older man. As a person, as a minister, we can often get distracted by all of our commitments, all of our schedules, all of our development, all of the things going on in our minds. Of course, we want to grow, we want to develop, but we also need to understand what God wants us to do. He wants to commission us to do things. Hanging over David's life, no matter how good of a military commander he was, no matter how much of a darling of the forces he was, hanging over David's life was this idea, you are king. What's hanging over your life? It's a hard question. It's a question that maybe you won't be able to answer today. But maybe it's a question that should sit in your mind and in your heart so that it actually begins to grow. What is hanging over your life? I remember that I was trained to be a school teacher. And so I, I think school teachers have an amazing job. And I was teaching very young children. Oh, golly. Young children. They have to change their shoes for if it's raining. They have to hang their coat on a peg that is the duck peg or the penguin peg. And if it's not on the penguin peg, then they get all upset and you have to help them to fasten their laces. And I remember when I was, uh, their shoes, and I remember when training to be a school teacher with these really young children, I sat on the desk and I said to myself, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is not my calling. You see, I had my handshaking calling. And I thought it would be helpful to God if I had a job that had long summer holidays so that I could work for him in the holidays. I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. Maybe I've come by today to ask you a same question. Can you do what you're doing now for the rest of your life? Is that really your calling? Maybe a Sunday afternoon here in Zurich could change your life. What is it that's over your life? Have you got a Bible with you? If you have, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I want to read with if you'll read with me just a little incident today. It's about when David went down to a place called Nob. And there was a holy place where there was a priest. And he asked uh, the priest whether he could have some of the holy bread that he wasn't supposed to have. And the priest allowed him to have it. And then he says this to him in verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 21. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Can I just pause here? David was actually 
lying here at the moment. He wasn't on a mission from the king. He was actually running away from Saul. And he didn't have time to get any of his weapons because he had to escape from him. It's funny that when you're on the run, that you make up stories. Verse 9, the priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. And not only is it here, it's wrapped in a cloth and we're keeping it all safe and we're keeping it all clean and we're keeping the dust off it and we're making it all just nice. It's wrapped in a cloth behind an ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David, I am showing you something that you only have one choice. There's no other thing to pick up. There's no choices or options here. If you want to arm yourself, look, it's this sword. What is that sword doing there? Why is it there? Why is it all wrapped up safe behind an ephod in a religious place, hiding? You know, it kind of gives me a little reminder in the New Testament when somebody was asked to use their talents, but they buried them in the ground. Here, the more dangerous truth is that this sword is buried in a holy place behind the ephod, all respectable and nice. And David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. You see, the interesting thing to me is, why is that sword there? David's on the run. He's running for his life. And he runs to a place where he can receive sustenance where he can receive equipment. And Jesus highlights this story actually in the New Testament where he says to the Pharisees, don't you know that David ate the holy bread that he wasn't supposed to eat? And Jesus' point was, is there are times when we need to step out of being religiously safe and be just what God wants us to be and to receive what God wants us to receive. If you're going to get to a moment that is a what is my life about moment, you're going to have to go to a safe place. You're going to have to strip yourself of all the trappings of religion. And maybe that's not the main emphasis of this story, but you're going to have to be stripped down so that you can be honest with God and not just religious with him where you're going to have to step out of some of your religious comfort zone and say, what are you saying to me, God? What is it now? Where is my life going? And out of all the equipment, of all the swords in Israel, of everything that... Uh, that David could have been given, wrapped up and hiding. It wasn't his sling. It wasn't his, his armor. But it was the sword of Goliath, the symbol of his most 
defining victory. The thing that propelled him out there the most. He looked at that sword and thought, well, would you know it? Of all the swords it could ever be, it's this one. Now, can I just take a pause here in a commercial break? Those of you who know me, and was anybody here last year? Anybody at all? I just want you to know, sir, on the front row, that you're probably not safe right now. But uh, as well as that, I do have other sermons other than swords, okay? Last year, I spoke on David's mighty men. Just to say, over the last year, I have spoke on other things, just to assure you of that. But I did learn something about the Swiss uh, and this is the international group. Something you need to know about the Swiss. If, you, if you're not Swiss, can I hear? Oh, okay. Anybody not Swiss in the room? Okay. What you need to know about the Swiss is they all carry knives. They've all got the Swiss army knife with them. And, uh, and even though it's a very functional tool, the Swiss are dangerous people. So the reason that I speak on with swords is if the crowd turns ugly, at least I've got a weapon to defend myself. But of all the things that was hiding, it's that sword. It's that symbol of my greatest victory. It's that symbol of that greatest confirmation that when I was a little shepherd boy and you told me I was king, it's that symbol of how I proved that you were with me. It's a reminder of what God wanted me to be. Not a darling, but a defender. Not a captain, but a king. It's the reminder that even though I was a boy and despite my brothers telling me differently, saying don't go out there, that I felt something in God and felt something in you to say I will go out there. I'm offended that there is a Goliath standing against God's people and it's my calling to deliver them from it. And I want to ask you a deep and important question today whether or not there is something that you have neglected, that you've hidden away, that's a calling about your life. There was an original DNA about David that he had to claim back. What about you? David had had this sword. I can prove it to you from the Bible. In 1 Samuel 17 verse 54, it says that David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. Have a nice day, Jerusalem. And he also put all of the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. How? You look it up for yourself. How did that sword get from the tent of David into this holy place of with Himlech wrapped in a sheet behind an ephod to be kept safe and religious and nice. How did that happen, David? And can I ask you, 
How is it that some of the precious things that God has said to you have now been put away and not used? Now, of course, this is where you have to be wise. And this is where you have to ask the Lord for help. Because some of us are infatuated with being something in the kingdom that is not our calling. David, obviously, he develops into many things. But here he's reminded that he must be king. It defines him. What defines you? And we're not talking about just infatuation here. Something you just want to do because you want to do it. But actually, we're talking about something that, David, you must do, that God has called you to do, and it's been confirmed by others. But you have now neglected it, David, and God is now calling you back to it. How is it with you? I think about David sometimes, and I don't want to do too much psychology, but he spends his first part of his life trying to please Saul. And then the very next incident, he runs to Gath, which is strange because that's where Goliath was from. And there's an older king there that he tries to please. And what is it with you, David, that you're always trying to get the kingdom some way given to you by someone else instead of just taking what God has told you to do and to live it out? And I wonder if you're here today always looking for the approval of somebody saying you must serve God in this way when instead of actually doing what God is asking you to do. And I know that what I'm saying is maybe difficult, but it is important for you. It really is important. So I want to say this to you. How are you trying to achieve your calling in God God wants to hand back you the calling or remind you of some of the things he's put in your life. It's not just an infatuation. It's something that you can actually do. Where did you used to get really passionate about? What was the thing that you thought, that's what God wants me to do? Get back there. Get that sword out again. What is it that when you saw it, you thought to yourself, you know what, that needs to be done in the kingdom. Get back there. What have you let go that actually you shouldn't have let go? And although we change and over seasons we develop and we, we change, but I'm just wondering if we need to get back to what we think our life is really all about. I wonder if we should go back to some of the things that God has done in our past and bring them out again. Are you with me, church? Can I hear an amen? And I know it's a difficult subject, and I know it takes more than just a few minutes on a Sunday. But maybe I can be a divine gardener today and plant some seeds that will grow over the next few weeks. Because it's really important that you get back there. Some of you 
used to think that your calling was in evangelism. And you know, in 1973, it's really great being a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian now for 38 years. And it's really, really great. Uh, some of you are adding up. Uh, have I been a Christian 38 years? I was 14 when I became a Christian. Now I'm 56. I don't know. Anyway, I've been that long. And, and you know, when we first were Christians, coffee house ministry was really cutting edge ministry. And then it went really out of fashion. And if you went to coffee house, it was like you were old fashioned. You know, you'd wear sandals and socks and, and oh, that would be just terrible. And then... In about the 19, in the mid-1990s, coffee houses became really cool and popular again. Who knows whether that thing God put in your life a long time ago, it's going to come back into fashion. I can tell by some of the clothes that some of you are wearing that you're coming round again. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is this, if God called you to evangelism, then maybe over the years it changes, but it's still evangelism. It's still what you need to do. Maybe there are different models that change, but you need to stay to what God is asking you to do. So this is a difficult subject, I know, and I've spoken to you today, and it might become a heavy burden to you. And you might have to go back to the one thing or a few things that God has said to you in the past. But I want to say to you that it's a journey, that there are some signposts. After this incident, David gathered around him his friends. And the way to discover your calling is to find the right belonging. In fact, if you read the story through in 1 Samuel chapter 22, he gathers his friends around him at the cave of Adullam and they start developing what the new kingdom should look like. Then in chapter 23, he sees the, the people of Keilah are in trouble and the Lord tells him to go and rescue them. And then he says, shall I stay with these people? And the Lord says, no, they'll give you up to the Philistines. You have to find out what your right belonging is, and then your calling will come. I wonder if you're frustrated about your calling because you're not involved with the right group to bring it out. I, in fact, all day I've felt that some people are frustrated because they've tried to have a calling, but they've tried to take it out the family, take it from under leadership, and they've tried to do it on their own, and you're frustrated, but you need to come back Gather the right people around you and then the calling will come. You can, be, you can discover your calling and you will discover your calling through battle. And some of you have given up because your calling had opposition. What did you expect? Of course there will be a battle around your calling. Everything that we have in God is fought for. Except the cross that Jesus fought that place bit for you. Everything else you have to win it with his power and his strength, but it's still a battle. Your calling will come and you'll discover your calling through becoming, through developing. You know, I was walking around the children's area earlier on and I, I just really admire the people who do the children's work. I have taught in every age group of, of uh, the children's work, but that's not my calling. That was my development. I'm just wondering whether you're waiting for the big calling to come and you're not willing to do some development. I'm hearing some amens. 
I wonder if you're willing to develop. You know, the very last thing I want to say to you today, maybe we could stand together. Maybe we could begin to just worship and ask the Lord to come close to us. You will discover your calling by actually being on an assignment from God. To, to discover your calling, you have to belong. To discover your calling, you have to battle.